Welcome to Away From The Keyboard. We give you a glimpse into the lives, interests, and tech behind today's technologists. Please join our hosts, Cecil Phillip and Richie Rump, as we get away from the keyboard. Welcome to Away From The Keyboard, where technologists tell their stories of how they started, how they grew, how they learned, and how they unwind. My name is Richie Rump, and with me, as always, I have Cecil Phillip. What's going on, Cecil? Not much, man. I'm just really excited. We finally got to episode three. You know, we have got a really good episode for you guys to listen to, and, you know, I'm, I'm really just anxious for everybody to hear it and, you know, hear what they think about it. Yeah, I think the one thing I'm really looking forward to is introducing everyone to Dave Nicholas. He's been uh, a good friend of mine for a long time. I He actually worked for me uh, when he was a junior developer, and I was, I've been able to see him grow into a, uh, a senior uh, developer, a really bright guy, and uh, I know you're all going to love him. Yeah, definitely. So let me tell you guys a little bit about Dave real quick. So, so Dave right now is a senior architect, and he has a crazy, crazy appetite for technology. You know, he's been developing um, software for over 10 years, primarily on the Microsoft stack, but he also has a you know, keen interest in you know, some open source technologies. So he's played with Node.js, he's played with JavaScript, you know, he's played a little bit with Python. Go. He's played with Go too. Wow. Oh yeah. Dave is also the the co-founder of .NET Miami User Group. You know, he shares his passion for his fellow developers. He's currently managing the software development initiative at Bankers Healthcare Group. Dave also holds a bachelor's of computer science from the Florida International University. So, so Richie, you went to the University of Miami, right? That's correct. The U. Am I right? But is there any type of rivalry between the University of Miami and FIU? FI who? Right. Yeah see, yeah, see, no, you get it mixed up. See, we we in national championships, uh, okay. we're not ranked 17th in the state, right, for colleges. So that's what FIU is. Okay, so on that note, we're going to keep it moving. <laughs> <laughs> we're just going to keep moving right along. So so this episode was recorded on January 29th, 2015. Um, here you guys go. Here's Dale Nicholas. I hope you guys enjoy the show. Away from the keyboards, feature conversation. And I am chilling like a villain, like Captain Cold or Mister Freeze. Those are like Batman Flash people. You've been watching the Flash a lot, haven't you? I have, and it's and it's surprisingly good. Actually, I like that show. It's a pretty good show. Yeah, I I haven't watched Gotham though, so that would you guys be the Batman side of that comment, and haven't seen any at all. But oh well. I don't feel like I'm missing much. So, but today, uh, I know we've mentioned Dave in uh, earlier podcasts, but uh, we are going to introduce everyone to Dave today. So, uh, Dave Nicholas, you on the line with us? Hello. How are y'all doing? How's it going, Dave? Fantastic. Good, good. So, Dave, well, why don't you uh, just share with us a little bit who you are and uh, kind of what your interests, and uh, we'll kind of get started that way. Well, um, I am. Dave Nicholas, obviously, a passionate software developer, okay? And essentially, when it comes to technology, I don't exactly have any boundaries or any um, preference. I have, uh, I'm proficient in a wide range of technologies, from open source to closed source, you name it. Well, everything's open source now, including .NET, but uh, in summary, that's just me. I'm just a passionate techie, and uh, that's, I breathe, sleep, and eat technology. If you guys probably mentioned me on uh, an earlier podcast, you probably mentioned the fact that I co-host the .NET Miami user group 
with Richie. For the most part, I handle the actual sponsorship to make sure that, you know, um, we can make the user group happen, okay? Aside from that, um, I am very involved with developers around, it, mainly in South Florida. I'm, I mean, as soon as I network with developers, I don't just stop it at the first visit. I make it a point to continue the actual conversation online, various medium of um, chat communication, whether it's Skype, whether it's uh, Google Hangout, yeah. Telegram, and anything. And I have a consistent, ex a very healthy and consistent exchange throughout the day, every day with a number of developers. And Cecil, I know you can attest for that, including, and also you, Richie. So, you know, one of the things I found really interesting, you know, and I was even talking to a, a colleague today. And he, he pretty much said that he was concerned that there's no developer community in South Florida. And then he says this and my mouth like drops to the ground and I'm like, where have you been? <laughs> like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, there's, there's so many things going on and there's so many groups and events happening. Um, and there's so many things to be involved in. So, I'm, you know, it, so that really just caught me by surprise. I know exactly why that happens. And I can tell you... Um, I can explain it to you exactly. The first thing is that when they tell me that, okay, of course, it may catch me off guard, I may act surprised, but one very important thing to do as a community leader, if I may use that term, is not to belittle those people. The second thing in the whole in, in, in the whole process that whenever they mention stuff like that, you know, they make such assumptions, you have to start asking questions. Okay, why do you say that? A lot of the time you have people that tell you, okay, after after doing the nine to five, they work somewhere where they don't exactly like the development work that they're doing. It's very boring. So once they leave work, they never want to hear about it again until the next day. And you know, the occasional Google search, searches to actually get their job done, or the occasional reads of uh, miscellaneous articles that are not exactly, you know, cutting edge. And aside from that, there's also the comfort zone that's formed. The, once they actually set, they're set in their ways and they've been doing that same routine job for a number of years, the passion dies and there is no more exploration. They don't want to kill themselves having to learn a new skill. That's one of the complaints that you hear out there, um, you know, in various forums or whatever it is. You hear them talk about, uh, yeah, you know, I don't have time to learn a new, a new craft after, after eight hours at work. I have a family life and that's it, okay? So people like that are the, are the reason why we have that in Miami, okay? When it comes to us, it's 11.24 p.m. right now and we're making time to do this podcast right here. It shows that we're all passionate about it. So on our individual times, and in Cecil, I know for a fact, we're always browsing, we're always looking, we're always reading. Even if we don't master a certain technology or a certain concept, a certain topic, sure, we make sure that we... I have a quick reference to it later on. And developers like us, there are quite a few of them, but it's not the majority, unfortunately. You know, we're, we're a very unique breed. We're passionate about what we do, and we never, never stop learning about it. And when, when, you, when you run into someone that tells you that there's not enough developer community or whatever, those people only know about the major events. Sure. So, so I think you made two really good points, right? So, so one is that people don't know where the community is, and then two, also, you know, at the end of your workday, like you're you're too fatigued to want to get back behind the computer and continue the investigation. Those are the two points, indeed. Right. So, again, the reason why people 
of fatigue is because, for example, the work environment in which they are does not encourage innovation. And I don't want to name examples or any companies because I don't want to be very biased on the podcast. No, sure. No, we don't need to do that at all. Yeah, for sure. But um, I've, I've noticed it and I've studied because the one thing as a, as a community, as someone who's really involved with the community, as someone who wants to improve the community and dedicate himself to that, I make sure that whenever you have people that are not on the latest technology and that are doing really rudimentary stuff, I don't belittle them. You have to make them feel welcome. You have to make them feel comfortable so that you can understand where they're coming from. Okay? Sure, sure. So, so I have a one question for you, Dave. So, so in your interactions with people, what's, what's one piece of advice that you'd give somebody to, to get involved or to stay motivated or you know, to find that, that, that time to explore? Because, you know, I mean, not everybody has the time to do it and not everybody has the motivation to do it. You know, um, so so what would you tell somebody? Hey, you know, I'm just out of college and I'm working. You know, and I, you know, my job's pretty stable, but you know, I need to find time to explore and look at, you know, what else is out there. You know, like how do I find time and how do I really manage that? You know, in my my after work life. So it, to tell you the truth, it's not exactly um, a concise answer. It's very subjective and it's going to depend on the individual. Okay. Sure. A lot of the time. When I investigate those individuals, and I'm telling you, I've done my personal studies because I'm so passionate about it, is that when you run into someone that's actually doing the same thing, just the same thing that we are doing, and they don't have that passion, I make sure that I try to understand where that's coming from. Okay, so to get back to the point here, when you ask, like, you know, most of the time they, they've asked me that question, what do I do to get into it and all that stuff? So I tell them baby steps. First of all, you have to make sure that deep within you really want to do this because if you don't have any drive or any motivation to really start learning you're not gonna try to actually motivate yourself to get there okay so if the person is really motivated the first thing that i say is i I suggest is get on social media when i say social media i'm not talking about like you know any sort of like you know Facebook community or anything like that. I'm talking about like the tech communities. For example, Twitter. It's a very good example of how you can easily filter tech talks or forums or so 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 and so. I tell them to start following certain really really well known people in the community. Off the top of um, my head, I have Brent Ozar. Then you have John Ski. I, I am number one. You have people like that. Most of the time, once you start following those people you can actually see who's following them and you can actually create some sort of silo to actually start filtering on topics, okay? So not to get too much into the details, pretty much you have to start creating a feed for you to absorb the knowledge and have a repository of some sort where you can that you can reference later on, okay? So now, how do you manage the fact that, you know, there is a lot going on there's a lot that you need to learn, and how do you manage the time to actually get on to the latest stuff and know where you're going? First of all, you have to identify yourself as a developer. What are you? Are you a tester? Are you someone who's into debugging? Or do you want to actually build systems and actually innovate? Once you can situate yourself as a developer, then now you know how you're going to go about consuming that knowledge. Okay, that's the first thing. The second is the second thing is now when you're actually filtering that knowledge, you have to dedicate some time, even if it's an hour out of your time, when you would be watching TV, for example, whether it's reality shows or playing video games, you have to dedicate some of that time 
to say, okay, I am going to pick a topic today based on how I situate myself on the dev as a developer. If I'm a tester, I'm going to pick a, a random testing framework that's really famous, and I'm just going to go ahead and run a few examples on it. See how I can specialize in certain ways to speed, like, you know, the, the test-driven development or so-and-so. If I'm a, uh, a front-end developer, I'm going to pick a JavaScript framework, whether it's AngularJS or React and something like that. And I'm going to start filtering those topics on social media and consume as much knowledge as I can and dedicate some of my free time in order to learn these new techs. Okay, that's the first thing that I, that, that I, that I advise people that's the first advice that I tell that I tell give people whenever they ask me how do I get involved in the community. The second thing is what we're doing right now. We're doing a podcast. Listen to podcasts. Listen to what people have to say. Watch videos. Educate yourself. So to 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 pretty much summarize the whole thing, the first thing that you have to do is dedicate some time to educate yourself every day. Find some free time to educate yourself. The second advice that I give people is to essentially practice a lot, even if you leave work and you're fatigued after that, even if you have to kind of rest a little bit and kind of reboot your brain and kind of force yourself to do it, do it. You have to get the habit. You have to get into the habit of doing it in order to actually feel the drive. Because every time now, what's going to happen is that you're going to think of, of a problem that to, for which you have a solution and you want to get involved. You, you're going to want to kind of hack something together in order to actually get your feet wet and get familiar with the technologies out there, technologies that you've dedicated some time to learning, okay? The third advice that I give them is drop the ego. I've met so many brilliant developers out there that cannot progress because they think that the only way is the way they know and they refuse to accept opinions from outside, which is which to me makes no sense. You have to drop the ego, get out there, mingle with people, and accept criticism when people look at your code and say why wouldn't you do this this way or do this that there is no need to get defensive and fight question inquire try to find out why those people are criticizing your code in a certain way learn from them and give back by the same token you can actually share that knowledge okay that's that's pretty much the three basic points that i have education practice and make sure that you're open to criticism and I think you made some really good points there. Uh, so particularly about going out to events and and also engaging with people, right? You know, whether that's through conversation or you know code reviews or, or even even just asking for advice. You know, I know for me in the in the few years that I've been involved in the South Florida community, I mean that's that's really helped me grow as a developer. You know, because you know now I I've, I've gained a little bit more confidence. You know, I have a little bit more faith in my ability. And also, my mind has just become more curious, right? Like, you know, I, you know, I come and I, I'll see somebody talking about topic X or topic Y or whatever it happens to be, and I, you know, I become interested. I'm like, well, how can I incorporate some of that, you know, knowledge that you've imparted on me into, you know, my day to day and my workflow? And so that definitely helps, because I think for a lot of people, it's a case that maybe I might not even have time to do it after work, but like, how can I integrate some of the stuff that I've learned into my day to day? You know what I mean? And then, you know, you like you said, you practice, you play around with it, you you find some samples that, you know, how can I implement this this technique or this framework or this library? And then again you just you know, you experiment and you grow, right? And that's and that's how we learn, right? We learn through experimentation and, and, and also through through other people. 
Yeah, but I, th- I think, uh, guys, it, it needs to be even, t- you take it to the next step, right? Because remember when we were in school, we had a, a syllabus and we had this, uh, we, we had to learn a whole bunch of things by the end of the year, right? And then we had a syllabus that told us this is what we're going to learn each class session, right? And this is what you're going to need to know before each test. Uh, that's intentional learning. That's learning with a goal in mind. You're going to have this knowledge by the end of the semester or the end of the quarter. Um, I don't think we do enough of that as technologists. I don't think we ha- say, hey, I want to learn this technology uh, in a year, or I want to be able to be proficient in whatever technology I'm looking at, whether it's on the database side or the IT side or on the development side. This is what I want to learn. Um, it's. I, I think a lot of us... Um, are missing that intentionality. And, and I think you kind of alluded it to a little bit, Dave, but um, I know there's a, a buddy of mine, uh, his name's Andy Warren, and he is a big pro, uh, proponent of building a learning plan, right? Every year coming in together and say, okay, well, what do I want to learn as a technologist uh, this year? And how many hours is that going to take me? And if it's going to take me 200 hours, then that's essentially going to be an hour a day every day. For me to figure it out during the week, right? Uh, to me to figure it out what that is, right? And, but and then it, it really forces you to just bear down and do it. Now, I although I do agree with you, and going this route will definitely get you to your, like you know, to the goals that you're trying to reach as far as learning a new tech. I gotta tell you that not everybody's wired this way. Okay, the reason being is that once you actually do it in a way where it's a chore. It's something that you impose on yourself. Human nature, at least in my opinion, you quickly lose interest. And I've seen that happen, okay? Because I've taught many people and I've tried to groom many people to become developers. And it's very few that I've seen actually become developers, actually flourish as developers after me mentoring them in the beginning, right? The, the I've tried different approaches and I've seen the approaches that, I fit, that failed consistently is when you actually give them an agenda and you're trying to get them to abide by that agenda. That agenda. You set a goal for them. You know exactly how you prepare the agenda. You talk. For example, if I'm teaching C-sharp, I, like, you know, the basic introduction to C-sharp, I, I set an agenda. I set, like, pretty much an hour a day what I'm going to teach them. I give them homework to go practice on and that they need to give a certain date. So it's to, to the point that you're making, Richie, it's exactly there is an agenda, there is a goal, and you have to attain it. What I've seen, what I've seen is that people feel pressured. They feel micromanaged, and even if it's self and it's self appointed agenda, I've noticed that people quickly lose the motivation. Okay, the way that I've seen people learn in a much more efficient way, it's when it's more like a life experience. It's an interactive experience. Okay, and again, it all depends on the context. Let's just say that you know it's a Let's just take a, a developer that wants to be a systems developer. That means that you want to develop the back end, the front end. You want to be involved in all portions of the development with your team. Okay, you like a, a full stack developer, pretty much. What I've seen is that, for example, I tell them, okay, as far as your digital experience is concerned, you're on a computer. If you're a dev, you're on a computer all day. You have process that you go through. You have certain chores that you do at home, um, whether it's like, you know, browsing on certain websites, scanning certain prices or whatever. For example, you reached the other day when you wanted to purchase that laptop. Look how you, you coded something really quick to monitor the website and send you a text message 
as soon as there was a price available. That was fun. You know why? Because it integrated it directly into your life experience and it was an interactive achievement for you to solve a problem. So when you put it in that perspective, the way that I've succeeded in getting people really motivated to do stuff is that, okay, for example, there was that kid at work that I was trying to mentor for the longest time. He, he was just not motivated. I set agendas. I was spending a lot of time with him. The way I was able to spark his interest is that one day I saw him parsing a bunch of stuff on a text file for fantasy football, right? So I'm like, ah, okay. So you see what you're doing right now? Explain to me because I have to admit I'm ashamed of it. I'm not exactly a fantasy football um, expert. He explained to me how he did his, his analysis. He showed me some formulas that he had in theory that could work. He showed me how he was going to ESPN to pull the scoreboard. Guess what? I took two days to actually investigate the whole thing. I put the formulas together, the one that he had up front, and I went to the ESPN API and found out how we could scrub a lot of that information, the rosters, but okay, those were not exactly available in the, uh, the ESPN API because that's relatively new, but we were able to use Node.js, Phantom.js, for example, to scrub the page and actually get all that information, structure it in, in a NoSQL database and form to actually parse it and plug it into the formula to get the results and for him to do his picks. At the end of the day, he was ecstatic when he had it all working. But guess what? From that day on, every time he's building a piece of software, it has to do with a problem that he's trying to solve. And he's grown potentially ridiculously fast from that point on. So that's where, like, you know, myself, although I know Richie from, from what you said, yes, if there is somebody that's disciplined, somebody that's a bookworm, and that's going to dedicate himself to setting an agenda and learning like us, I know I will do that if I have to, we will do it. But other people have different learning techniques, and they don't exactly like the just stringent um, agenda way of learning. Right, and I think that even goes down to an even deeper topic that, you know, obviously we're all different people, right? And we all learn differently. You know, some of us learn by doing, some of us, some of us need a little bit more of a, of a, a schedule or a plan. So we right. could, you know, so we could, so we could say, okay, well, this is going to happen in this particular pattern in this way. So I'm going to start here and I'm going to end up there, you know? Um, and, and, you know, it just depends. It depends on you. It depends on you, me, or whoever else is just different. No, definitely. And I mean, in my own experience, for example, I'm a scatterbrain learner. What I mean by that is that I'm, I'm always in a need to absorb some sort of knowledge. Thankfully, I have an incredible memory. I can remember stuff for a long period of time. So once I read stuff... It is ridiculous, Dave. <laughs> so I, I take advantage of that skill that I have to memorize stuff where I can always absorb stuff. And it doesn't matter when I need to use it, when I need to implement the problem. I know exactly when to reference it and implement it really quick. But that's me, personally. And so with, with that being the case, I think I have the perfect question to ask you. And I think this will bring, bring a lot of value to some others, too. Is that so? After I've learned and I've absorbed all of this information, right? And you know, I'm a, I've been a developer for X amount of years, you know, five, ten, fifteen years, and I've amassed all this information. Like, where do, where does my career go after that? Like, what's the next step for me? Do I keep coding? Do I put the put a, do I put the keyboard down right and do I b become a manager or you know, like what what are the options we have? Because I mean, we could learn and learn and learn. And write programs, you know, till the sun goes down, right? But like, what's what's the goal at the end of the day, and and where do we what do we do with that? Okay, so, so you become a manager. 
Oh, well, no. I, I wouldn't even say that. I mean, guess what? I became, I'm a manager, but I am one of the baddest coders at work. I probably don't code as much as my team, who's dedicated on a project when I have to drive the whole team. But when it comes, for a lot of times I've had to pick up processes that my team implemented and I have, I've had to rewrite core portions of those processes, right? Now, I, I, there is that, that, that whole dilemma out there where, okay, do I code? Do I become a manager? I don't understand why there is a separation. If you become a manager because your path took you there, it doesn't mean that you need to give up coding. That makes no sense to me. The very core of our industry is running of software. Why would you relinquish such a power when you already have it? To me, it's like having a, being able to code and build software that can actually change at certain aspects of life or impact the world in a way as a power that cannot be measured. And just saying that, okay, I'm going to stop coding to become a manager, to me, it makes no sense. Becoming a manager and coding are two different things. Even if at work, all you can do is become a manager, I am pretty sure that you can apply code to different aspects of life if you really love it. For example, myself, when I get back home, beyond building software for a lender or whatever, I have so many things that I can think of. So many software, for example, like if, we talk, if we're talking about invoicing, I have yet to see an invoicing platform, which is intuitive in the corporate market. So, so, so hold on. So let's 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 talk about that point you made for a second, because I think there's I think there's some value in that. So you're saying so we don't have to give up the keyboard, no, right? No, for it makes the no suit, sense. right? No. We don't have to give up the keyboard for the suit. No. So, and I I think the case is for some people, and I agree with you. I think that's true to a certain extent because I think at some point there has to be some type of balance. And I think also, too, depending on the area that you're working, you know, I mean, you might, you know, work for a corporation that you become, you know, a manager or a director or whatever the case is. And maybe it's not a case that you want to give up code, but maybe you just don't have the time to do it. Right. And now you have to learn the delegation skill. Right. You have to learn the delegation and the review skill because not that your job is more important, but, you know, somebody has to do one thing and somebody has to do something else, right? Oh, yes. Right, and they can't happen simultaneously, right? Like, somebody has to do this. Yes. You know what I mean? Um, I concur, and this is this is one of the hardest... That had been, for the past year, it's been a very hard transition for me. But I succeeded in knowing how to delegate and guide someone in a direction and setting guardrails to make sure that we're all going in the same direction. Yeah, but you know that's really hard too. I mean, you know, Dave, you watch me go through it. Um, as far as from a manager perspective, you know, you get, you know, you, you get to a certain level, you get to a lead and architect role, and all of a sudden you get forced into not writing code anymore, you know, but leading people, and that's a completely different skill than than writing code. And when I became a manager, I completely wanted to do both. And but you know, when you've got you know, business goals and projects do and, and all this other stuff comes up and you just you just realize that you can't do it all. Exactly. Right. Because you're sitting in meetings eight hours a day and then all of a sudden it's like, okay, do I go home and see my family? Or do I work on this thing for another, you know, three or four hours? And it, it's a hard thing to 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 handle. Yeah, but that's the thing. It's 
the context in which what I'm trying to explain here when I say that you can do both, coding does not only apply to your work environment. After doing the eight hours of managing whatever you have to do, and you can't code as much as you want to, when you go home, okay, I guess I, I'm, ex I'm not explaining that properly. What I'm, what I'm trying to see here is that make it a hobby. Coding to me is a hobby. If I have free time, okay, I go work out. I like watching movies. I watch TV. I draw. But one of my hobbies is building software. And building software doesn't mean that you have to code every day. You could just go ahead and literally think of a problem that you're trying to solve, design it, spend just literally a couple, four, six. I've spent a whole day designing a concept once without ever writing one line of code. But as I am designing the process, I'm thinking of what technology I would use in each module or in, in the workflow to handle this portion of the software development and all of that stuff. I have thought it all through without writing one line of code. This keeps your brain stimulated in a way where you'll never give up coding. Sure. And I, I think the good thing about that, that point that you made is, you know, even if you, as you move forward in your career, you know, if you're in the business of building software, you need to understand how software is built. Right. Um, yep. You know, and, and, and that might sound like an obvious statement, right? But, you know, as you move forward and you become a little bit disconnected from the actual developer experience, you know, you need to understand how certain things work now, like how systems for systems, certain systems are plugged in or how certain frameworks are wired up or, you know, what's the advantages and disadvantages or the pros and cons of, of plugging certain things together, you know? And I know me for one, like, I definitely have a lot more respect for, Business analysts, testers, you know, managers, directors, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, that do understand that process. Because now we can have a different type of conversation, right? Um, and one that that makes the whole process just a lot easier to have, right? Right. And yeah, to your point, yes. When you are at work, and you know, let's just say that you have to keep up coding it. Like the point I'm trying to make essentially is that you don't have to give it up outside of work. Right. Okay. So Dave, so, so I like the fact that you mentioned when you go home, you do other things than code, right? Like you watch movies and, you know, you draw and, and stuff like that. Like, so I, like, I'd like you to elaborate on that a little bit, right? Like, like what are some of the things that you do non-technology related? Oh, um, I am a big movie buff. I mean, I can spend hours watching movies. I love action movies, thrillers, dramas. I mean, I've, I, I just love movies that have a very intelligent plot to it. So I, I love watching movies. Aside from that, drawing. Um, since I was a kid, I've always loved drawings. I used to read a lot of comics, and I learned how to draw based on comics. So sometimes I feel I, I have the urge to draw. I have to drive. So I sit down on the table. I get some paper, pencil, and I start drafting different things. Whatever goes to my mind, whether it's uh, a scenery that I've seen, whether it's some some sort of fantasy drawing, or whether it's imitating another drawing, you know. Sure, and that's really interesting. Do you do you find that? Because I know I know you have a son too. Do you find that your your son picks up those habits that you have, like you know those likes of movies and drawing and. Um, you know, of those types of things? So far, it's 
tendencies, but it's not exactly that. It's picking it up because it's not very, it's not old enough for that yet. It's three and a half, about to be four. It's very, very hyperactive. So he's never really shown that he has a, a specific attention for something. One thing I can tell you is that whenever I'm on my keyboard, he wants to type on the keyboard. Mm-hmm. And whenever he has, he sees my tablet or my phone, he wants to grab the phone. Actually, he knows how to operate it, right? But it's not necessarily that I can say that he has a tendency to, he, he, to, he wants to code or he's going to be a coder when he grows. And I don't exactly know if he wants to draw because it's still kind of, what, what he does is not exactly drawing when he's on the paper. <laughs> <laughs> right, I got you. Still a little early to tell. Yeah. It's like my son, actually, what he does is, um, so he comes, he comes over to my desk. Sits in my chair, turns it around to the screen, opens up my laptop, and he's like, "Daddy, I'm working." And I just, I, you know, it's it's the funniest thing to me. And I have so many pictures of him doing that. You know, I could just look at him and shake my head and say, you know, just one day, like one day we'll see, you know, what what that actually turns into. I know exactly what you mean. One of the things that that I kind of gleaned from. You're talking about learning and, and, and how do we keep in pace. And I know it's really difficult for us as technologists to do that because technology is continually changing. It's constantly changing. Um, how do we keep that passion? Um, you know, how do we keep that passion like we did when we first discovered uh, programming? I mean, how, 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 what are some things we could do? To- Switch context. Switch it up. That's one thing I can tell you. Sometimes I get bored of writing the same .NET code. I know exactly what I'm going to do on exactly the framework. I just choose a different framework or I choose a different language altogether. Sometimes if I want to build a web app, like for example, at work, there is a mix of Node.js applications and .NET applications. <laughs> so everybody might consider that crazy, but I think it's very innovative um, because when you switch the context, it allows you to have new challenges and new ways of approaching how, uh, you know, the ways that you're going to use to actually solve a problem. So you have to keep switching. What bores us and what makes us pretty much lose the drive is when you're doing the same thing over and over and over. Wash, rinse, and repeat. But if you kind of switch it and you pretty much challenge yourself with different problems and or you use different solutions to solve the same problems, that actually is what's going to keep you going. Another thing, read stuff that's not necessarily related to the subject. For example, I don't always read about web development. I go and read about trading because that's something that pretty much I'm, I can tell you that when I see some of the exploits that some of those um, high-frequency traders, coders, or programmers are doing, it's amazing. It's beyond my comp- competence levels, I would say, right? Or sometimes I go ahead and I read about um, hackers, see the code that they write, how they penetrate some of the really secure sites and all that stuff. That's very fascinating stuff. When you read different approaches and how they can know which languages to use, which frameworks and all that stuff, it kind of keeps you alive. And you realize that you're part of a bigger realm and you know exactly where you're situated and how you have different ways of seeing things. You always, you keep putting yourself in a position where you have to put things in perspective. And I think that's that's interesting too because it's, it's almost like, you know, use the right tool for the job. You know, just because you work for a company that 
has some sites in .NET doesn't mean that everything that you build needs to be in .NET, or exactly. everything you build doesn't need to be in Ruby, or even in you know Angular and Bootstrap in the front end. Every website doesn't need to have Bootstrap on. You know, um, like use what works best. Like I know a lot of people, for instance, today, you know, um, Go, the programming language from Google. A lot of people are using that to build networked, distributed backend applications. Oh yeah, and I've messed yeah. around with it too, and it's amazing, amazingly fast. Right. But you know, in in terms of the context, like that, that's one of the things that people know that it's good for. You know, um, a lot of people today, you know, particularly .NET developers, are using Node for automation because it's good scripting language for automation and it works across domains. So you know, you'll see it in Azure, you'll see it, you know, running Grunt scripts and or Gulp scripts, whatever you you choose on your local machine, um, like doing those types of you know build tasks and stuff like that. You know, so. You know, it doesn't. You don't have to stick to one thing, right? Like you could, you know, pick a right tool for the job or something that's interesting and play around with it and see how it works out for you. Exactly. For example, the one thing that I can can't bear hearing is when someone's on, man, why would I do no JavaScript is slow. This type, these type of opinionated. I've never heard that before. I don't know what you're talking. Um, about. Um, yeah, you know, <laughs> these types of complaints are opinionated. Uh, assumptions without them even trying the technology is what annoys me. For example, on Windows, they were telling me, oh, it's running JavaScript. I'm like, do you know that it compiles into C? Do you know that it's using the Win32, the native API to actually do the call? So it's it's exact, it's doing exactly what that is doing when it's actually, it's running on a, a CLR. So it's like, sometimes you have people that are making excuses so that they don't go and learn a new tech. They try to say that what they're using is the best. And that's one of the biggest pitfalls. That's going to kill the drive. If it's slow, it must be running Rails, right? <laughs> but, you know, but you know, I can tell you one thing. Um, I do agree that Rails can be very slow, yes. But it doesn't mean that one should not actually even look at it just because other people are saying it's slow. I have to experience it for myself. And I've experienced it. It is slow. <laughs> <laughs> You know, but I've seen other more experienced Ruby developers that managed to get Reels to perform really well. Sure. You know, so it's because of the fact that you've had a bad experience because you're not an expert at it, doesn't mean that you need to just toss the technology down. Like, for example, another thing is that um, I know Richie, whenever you mention MongoDB, Richie, Richie's hair grows. I mean, they, they stand up, you know. <laughs> MongoDB that might not be a bad the, thing. Yeah, MongoDB makes the hair on the back of the uh, Rich's neck stand up, you know. <laughs> but, you know, that's the thing. Because something is new or immature or whatever, it doesn't mean that you should not give it a shot, take a look at it. Again, the point here is contest switching and constantly learning is going to keep your drive going. What's one of the newer programming languages that you find particularly interesting today? <sighs> I mean, there's, there's tons of them coming out, man. Like, I feel like, you know... Last year, it was, you know, a new JavaScript framework was every week. Now, it feels like there's a new programming language every week. Well, that's the thing. Uh, a new JavaScript framework you know, is not a new programming language. It's just JavaScript, right? Sure. But um, what's intriguing me is the upcoming standard for ES6 and how people are trying to integrate it, even though the W3 standards have not released it yet, right? Um, another interesting language that I'm keeping an eye on is Go, okay? Um and of course, I am keeping a very close eye on the next version of C Sharp and 
the next. Yeah, that stuff is going to be pretty interesting, I think. Um, I've been hearing a lot about this language called Elixir. That that's supposed to be pretty pretty cool. I haven't dug too much. Ah, into it, that is actually people. very yeah. That's been around for five years now, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, really? Is it? Yeah, and it's literally Ruby running on top of Erlang, and it's super fast. Oh, actually, the the story, if I remember, if my memory is not failing me, it's a guy who really loved Ruby, but really did not like the performance of the Ruby engine, Ruby. Um, um, virtual machine itself, that he actually ported the Ruby language and have it sitting on top of Erlang. So literally, you can actually use Erlang code to communicate with Elixir, but I've not really gone really deep with it. But one thing I can tell you is that you can run really scalable code with Elixir. It's just that you have to do a lot of um, low-level work because there's not a lot of frameworks for it out there. So that was a really cool episode, guys. I don't know what you guys think, but you know, I really want to thank Dave Nicholas for coming in and chatting with us. You know, you could be sure that we'll definitely be having some more conversations with Dave in the future. You know, if you guys really love this episode, like if you guys really, really love this episode, you know, please make sure to go on our website at awayfromthekeyboard.com or you know, go on Twitter. You can check us on Twitter at AFTK podcast, you know, and, you know, send us a tweet, leave us a comment, you know, just let us know what you guys think about the show. Yeah. And you can subscribe to the show via website or on iTunes. And while you're on iTunes, you can comment and give us a rating of five stars because those are the only ratings we actually like. Just kidding. (laughs) But we're not kidding. Five stars. Five stars. Five And if you really want to know what makes us tick, you could go ahead and sign up to the newsletter and we'll give you behind the scenes access to away from the keyboard and all the crazy zaniness and maybe some previews of what we got coming up next. Um, And you can sign up for our newsletter at awayfromthekeyboard.com. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week. We'll see you next week. But my parents. want to thank you for listening to Away From The Keyboard. As a reminder, we will have new episodes each and every week. You can interact with us on Twitter at AFTK Podcast or at awayfromthekeyboard.com. Hasta luego!
All right, I'm running low on water. Drink some more. I've been drinking some green tea, actually. Yeah, I can't do that. I can't do tea. I don't like tea. No? I don't like tea. <laughs> but your parents love tea. <laughs> no. I like iced tea. <laughs> well, I'm, I, Especially er, early iced tea <laughs> when he was doing colors. I am a nightmare walking, psychopath talking, king of the jungle, just a gangster stalking. With a light like a firecracker. Quick as my fuse. So, who are you again? What's your name? <laughs> Batman. <laughs> I really I didn't like I really didn't like it. It just Batman. doesn't matter. <laughs> I, yeah, I, man, think, I, I think I'll... I prefer him to Robo Batman, though. <laughs> but we'll see. We'll see what happens. Maybe that's just that suit that sounds like that. I don't know if the whole. Maybe it's just a trailer. Yeah. Yeah, 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 